Well, good morning and welcome to week four of this incredible book of Jonah. Uh, If you haven't been with us, do look back on YouTube over these last three weeks previously to catch up, have a read of the book of Jonah. Maybe you've never even read the Bible at all. Jonah is a cracking story, if nothing else. As we begin today, I want to ask you a question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? If you knew that he would give you the straight, direct answer, what question about anything, what would it be? Because in a sense, some of our answers to that question reveal what means the most to us. I guess some of us would ask, why did this happen? Others of us might ask, why didn't this happen? Others might say, what does the future hold? Perhaps some of us might say, are you there? Big questions. They reveal our deepest longings, our deepest heart cries. But what if God had a question or two to ask of you? What do you think he would ask? Well, as we come to the end of this incredible, terrible, beautiful, shocking book of Jonah... This final chapter poses two questions in which God asks directly of Jonah. One of those questions he asks twice. And in a sense, these two questions get to the heart of some of God's priorities for Jonah. And I can't help wondering if God might want to ask us the same questions today. So before we get to those questions, if you haven't been with us, there's been a quick summary. We've got this man, Jonah, who is a prophet, a God-man. He should be following God's call. And yet God told him to go to Nineveh to preach, and he goes in the opposite direction. And then what happens, he's on this ship, a storm comes around, the sailors kind of throw him overboard, a fish swallows him up. And in that fish, he comes to his senses and realizes that God is in control of his destiny. He prays to God. And then the fish vomits him out. He's there on the beach and decides to again go to Nineveh. And then in that Nineveh, he preaches and Nineveh, the enemy, repents and turns to God as a result of Jonah's preaching. And today we get to chapter four, the ending, as I'm booming away but here is the beginning did you notice here it is on the screen chapter 4 verses 1 to 4 the city of Nineveh has just turned to God and you'd think that Jonah being God's man would be quite pleased with that wouldn't you I mean if we'd preached to our city and they suddenly all turned to God we'd be thrilled wouldn't we but to Jonah this seemed very wrong And Jonah, God asks him this question, verse 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? There's the question that God asks of Jonah. You're angry, Jonah. Is that right? And something's fascinating. Do you see that word where Jonah said it seemed very wrong to Jonah? That word wrong is the same word as when Nineveh is talked about doing evil. So Nineveh, this brutal regime, God saw their evil. 
And in the same way, Jonah thinks God has done evil by not punishing them. Jonah can't believe that God would be so kind to these enemies. I would rather die than live in a world with that kind of God that would dare to forgive those I hate, is what Jonah is saying. Have you ever had one of those moments where the red mist comes up and you are so angry and nothing anyone can say can prevent it? You know that it's kind of out of control, but the red mist rises. You're in the mother of all huffs. That's what's happening to Jonah. And so what happens to God's question? Do you have any right to be angry? Jonah blanks him. Speak to the hand. And the very next verse, he goes out and sits down in the huff and watches the city, hoping probably that God might come to his senses and zap him. He builds a little shelter, waiting to see what had happened. And then out of all that, a plant rises quickly, growing up to give Jonah this shade. And it says, do you notice? I love it. Jonah was very happy about that plant. Wonderful. And then the next day, as if to slowly teach him the lesson that he needs to learn, the plant is dead. It is better for me to die than to live, says Jonah again. And then there's the question again. God asks Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? (laughs) It is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. What an incredible story. Jonah's anger with God because of a plant dying now. You almost wonder whether God's trying to teach him something here. Do you notice again what it said about the plant? Jonah was very happy about the plant. That very is the same word in verse 1 where he is very angry that God doesn't punish Nineveh. So you've got very angry and very happy. Anger subsides because of a plant. Plant gets eaten, anger comes back. And that's the point. Jonah's huff, friends, reveals that there's something way deeper in his heart. Something about Jonah that God wants to reveal. And here's the question there that I wonder if God might want to ask of us. Friends, what's behind your anger? May I ask you, what makes you most angry in life are you able to think of a situation when you've been so angry and that angry you know is disproportionate to what happened now anger is a great teacher because it shows us what is most important in our hearts in a good way it can be a way of seeing what we really care for that's good. Let me give an example. I have permission to share this. Yesterday, I was mowing the lawn. We have an electric mower. At one point, the mower got stuck. 
So I turned the mower on its side without unplugging it to free up the blade. When I went in, the look on Claire's face was not a happy look. She was angry at me. Why? Because I would be really stupid. She was angry because she cared for me and didn't want Tim to have no hand. <laughs> that is a good thing. The anger shows the right love and care of protection for a husband that was being utterly stupid. But as with Jonah, anger also reveals some other things that may not be so good in our hearts about the things that really matter most to us. And in Jonah's case, it's about how he sees himself and how he sees other people. I remember when Claire was diagnosed with breast cancer. One of the thoughts that went through my mind was, come on, Lord. Don't you know what I do for you? I've given up my life to be a pastor. Give us a break. As though somehow I deserved, we deserved something different because I was somehow more special. If someone asked you about those things you're angry about, what's behind it? Because for Jonah, his anger's got the potential to be the most beautiful teacher if he will let it. Someone wise once said, the greatest way to see the center of someone's faith is when they don't get what they want. Jonah goes from being saved from rebelling against God and now he'd rather die than see other people being saved from their rebellion against God. Do you get the slight irony there? His anger reveals that somehow for Jonah, he thinks he deserved God's rescue. And now God's not giving him what he wants in punishing his enemies. Jonah's called to be God's man. And yet he reveals in that moment who his true God really is. It's not God. It's himself his own sense of self-rightness, his identity in doing good things for God. I love this quote from St. Augustine in the early centuries of the church. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. For Jonah, his heart is resting in what he does for God. He's got this idea that somehow he deserves his status. His saviour is not God. His saviour is his own religiousness. His identity in being a prophet, being a righteous person. He can't stand the idea that the evil Nineveh somehow might get rescued too. That God might see them in the same way as they see him with all that he's done. And the plant reveals that self-righteousness. That's what this book is about, friends. It's a challenge to all of us who read this. Who or what is God of your life? I heard a story of a pastor a few years ago talking to two mothers in his church. 
Both mothers had husbands that were not very great. Uh, But in his eyes as the pastor, one of them, as he'd been talking with them, the one whose husband was kind of treating her worse, uh, that woman seemed to able to kind of process it in a more healthy way. And so for her and her children, she was able to navigate it in a, in a way that, that seemed to be more healthy. Whereas the other for whom the husband wasn't quite as damaging as the other one, somehow wasn't able to respond in a way that was as healthy. And he was trying to ponder what this was until he began to realize what was going on for that woman. And what she, he realized that for that woman, What was happening is that the way the husband was treating her was making her children go off, do not good things. And that reflected badly on her as a mother. And so therefore her husband treating her not well was not really about her husband not treating her well. Her husband not treating her well was about her identity as being a good mother. And as long as she was seen as being a good mother, then all was good. But the moment that was crumbling, then I got nothing. In other words, her identity, where her value in life was, was in that. Now, that's one example. But friends, the story of Jonah reveals to us, peels back. What is it that we could not live without? What I think is fascinating here is that God is very comfortable with Jonah not being happy. I wonder if in our culture we would do all we could to say things so that Jonah feels better about himself. Whereas God is quite happy to leave him in his anger because he's got something really important to show him. If there is any other God in my life, we will never truly find rest for our souls because that God will be a slave. We will be a slave to that God. But when the God of the heavens is God, we're able to somehow rest in a way that may not make sense, but changes everything. I love what Andy Wilson said in his story, that when he came to faith, he realized he didn't have to have a Ferrari. He didn't have to be successful. He didn't have to pretend and have it all together and achieve and be significant. All those gods that we love to have. Tim Farron, the Lib Dem MP, said something very provocative, which I love. Not sure whether I should say it, but I will. He said, Christianity is a two-fingered salute to your ego. I love that. God's trying to show something. He's trying to rescue Jonah from himself to truly find rest for his souls because he'll never find it if there's any other God in his life apart from the God of the heavens. That's what's going on here, friends. Because God wants to show Jonah something about himself, God. And this is when he does it, verses 9, verses 10 to 11. So the Lord says, you have been concerned about this plant, Jonah, Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Do you see what God's doing here? You were worried about the plant, Jonah. You were angry that the city 
got rescued and then you were so cross about this plant that you had nothing to do with. That was where you found comfort and it's gone. Can I remind you, there's a city over there of 120,000 people. Should I not have a bit of concern about them, Jonah? And that's God's second question to us. Should I not be concerned? Several times in this book of Jonah, we've heard Nineveh referred to as the great city. Have you seen that? Have we gone through the great city of Nineveh? That can be used in two different ways. It can mean great as in just numbers, big, a lot of people. Or it can mean great as in influential, important. What I wonder if this book is showing us is that Jonah needs to remember that God is interested in all people. And the impact of a city like Nineveh that will have influence way wider because it is great is really important. I don't know, at the stage of life I'm at, mid-40s, you can go away somewhere, visit somewhere in the countryside and you can think, ooh, wouldn't it be nice? And you see the rural idyll in my dream to move out of this city and find the peace in the countryside. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful, God's gift. But it's a reminder to me this, that God is deeply concerned about the city. And Jonah is wanting his comfort under the shade more than he cares for the needs of that city to find salvation. Would I be willing to sacrifice my comfort for the sake of others? Because that's exactly what God does, friends. Jonah is unwilling to sacrifice his comfort for the sake of these people. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus is trying to be tricked by the religious leaders of his day because the religious leaders of their day could not understand how he would be so kind and so gracious and so forgiving and how he would just be doing these things on the Sabbath for people. How dare he? And so Jesus says these very provocative words. Pharisees, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's the religious leaders of their day, say to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Religious leaders of the day, what Jesus is saying is, God's mercy is way wider than you think, way broader than you think. His grace extends way further than you dare imagine. In his kindness, God wants Jonah to repent as well as Nineveh to repent. And God's mercy extends even to the evil city of Nineveh, Sin City. And Jonah, will you turn back to me too? Salvation is open to more people than you would choose, is what the book of Jonah is about. Lord, forgive us when we have spent time focused on our needs and forgotten the city that we live in of over a million people. 
That's the outworking of the book of Jonah. Do you want God's grace to extend to you? Most of us would say, yes, please. Then are we willing to sacrifice our comfort to show the same grace to those around us? That's what Jonah is asked at the end. That's why we've had this verse on the wall. Should I not be concerned about that great city, this city we're living in? Of course, our answer is yes. And so then the question is, and then so what? What do we do with that? And for the last couple of minutes, I just want to focus on one other outworking of this. Friends, who is your Nineveh? Or if you like, who are your enemies? Who would you replace? Should I not be concerned about that great city? Or should I not be concerned about dot, dot, dot? Who do you secretly get their comeuppance from God? Who would you rather not be forgiven? Who would you rather just suffer just a little bit? Get a bit of a taste of their own medicine. Years ago, in a church, not Riverside, I had felt that somebody had done me seriously wrong. It consumed my thinking. Lots of tears. And every time I was in church and they were in church, I was plotting what I would like to say to them. I found it difficult being in church, found it difficult to worship because they were there. I was angry. Not once did I stop to think about how God saw that person. Not once. Anne Lamott says this brilliant quote on the screen. Everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, and scared. Even the people who seem to have it more or less together. They're much more like you than you'd believe. So try not to compare your insides to their outsides. It's only when we're able to think of how God sees the other person that it changes our heart. Do you notice how God described Nineveh? Remember, Nineveh is this great evil city, sin city. And God describes them in verse 10. This great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and even the animals. They've done evil, terrible things. God doesn't excuse their evil. They do need to turn away from it. But his posture towards them is different than you or mine, might I suggest. He knows they're lost. So friends, who is your Nineveh? You may not use the word enemy, but who is it? that you can't forgive or that you hope God doesn't forgive? Which group do you secretly hope get their comeuppance? Who is it in the news that you rejoice when there's egg on their face? The Conservative Party, the Labour Party, men, women, your parent, your brother, your sister, a friend, your partner, your child, a particular community in our society, the LGBT community, the trans community, 
conservative Christians, traditionalists, people of other faiths, wealthy people, poor people. Who is it that we all have that we just hope? Who's our Nineveh? Who do we rejoice when things don't go their way? Now I know some of us have had really horrible things happen and God doesn't excuse that. Do you notice that? God doesn't excuse any wrong. He wants them to turn to him. But God wants to show Jonah that his heart, he's the God who'd be willing to die for his enemies. As we think of the scandal of God's grace extending to us, there's also a scandal of God's grace extending to them. And one of our greatest challenges in the church today, friends, I think, is to be the kind of place that loves, loves our enemies. And that is hard, friends. But it's only possible when we see how loved we are. Just like Jonah, who've rebelled again and again and again. And God's there with wide open arms. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Friends, might I, as I close, humbly suggest that the enemies in our lives sometimes may actually be a gift from God to show our own need of grace. The presence of your Nineveh, maybe there's some beauty within that to discover how wide and deep and high is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. So that then we maybe, just maybe, be able to walk with other broken people just like us. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God leaves it on a cliffhanger.